We're going to look at Numbers 16 today, the book of Numbers. Uh, No, two weeks ago, we were up to 15. Luke did um, Luke 15. Thank you, Luke. That was amazing. And we're going to read actually the whole chapter of Luke 16. Sorry, Numbers. Numbers 16. And uh, let me pray as, as we start that. So, Lord, we ask as you speak uh, to us, you speak to us in many ways, you speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You know, and one of the things about the Bible, and, and numbers in particular, is you see that uh, we make the same mistakes more than once often. Notice that? And you would think we'd learn uh, about... When was it? Maybe two years ago. Kate, we, you were, we went out to Rere Falls and we were camping. And just as we packed up, I lifted up the boot and then of our van and backed into a tree. And then uh, it was only, I think it was three days ago, I was putting some firewood into our van to take somewhere. And I lifted up the boot, the, uh, boot of the van and instead of, oh, maybe I should shut it and then back up. And I just backed up and backed into the, uh, what was it, the ring of the basketball hoop. But we sometimes we do, yeah, we do that. We make the same mistake more than once. We're going to see that in Numbers 16. And this has been called a hurricane of rebellion. And it wasn't the first time. The Israelites, they, they had more than one of these. Rebellious moments, but this was a horrific one, and it's referred to not only here but in the New Testament. Um, it's referred to as uh, Corinthians and Hebrews and Jude and Paul. In his writings, he was one of the things he was uh, really, really afraid of was rebellion, because because from their history they had seen what it had done to the people, the community of faith, what the the potential that rebellion has to wreak havoc on the people of God. So let's read this. I think there's 50 verses. Korah's rebellion. Korah, son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiran, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah, and all his followers. In the morning, the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, and he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers, and tomorrow put burning coals and incense in them before the Lord. A censer will show a photo of it later. It's just a, a like a little fire thingy on the chain. and Yeah. Um, before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites, you Levites have gone too far. 
Moses also said to Korah, Now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? He has brought you and your fellow Levites near himself, but now you are trying to get the priesthood too. It is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we'll not come. Isn't it enough that you have brought us out of a land flown with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? And now you also want to lord it over us. Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Do you want to treat these men like slaves? No, we will not come. Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not accept their offering. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them, nor have I wronged any of them. Moses said to Korah, You and all your followers are to appear before the Lord tomorrow. You and they and Aaron. Each man is to take his censer and put incense in it, 250 censers in all, and present it before the Lord. You and Aaron are to present your censers also. So each of them took a censer, put burning coals and incense in it, and stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Korah had gathered all his followers in opposition to them, at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Separate yourselves from this assembly, so I can put an end to them at once. But Moses and Aaron fell face down and cried out, O God, the God who gives breath to all living things, will you be angry with the entire assembly when only one man sins? Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the assembly, Move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. He warned the assembly, Move back from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them, or you will be swept away because of all their sins. So they moved away from the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. Dathan and Abiram had come out and were standing with their wives, children, and little ones at the entrances to their tents. Then Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. If these men die, these men's men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the realm of the dead, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he had finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. They went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them, they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, The earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, 
to remove the senses from the charred remains and scatter the coals some distance away. For the senses are holy. The senses of the men who sinned at the cost of their lives hammer the senses into sheets to overlay the altar, for they were presented before the Lord and have become holy. Let them be a sign to the Israelites. So Eleazar the priest collected the bronze senses brought by those who had burned to death and he had them hammered out to overlay the altar as the Lord directed him through Moses. This was to remind the Israelites that no one except the descendant of Aaron should come to burn incense before the Lord or he would become like Korah and his followers. The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You have killed the Lord's people, they said. But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned toward the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting and the Lord said to Moses, get away from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. And they fell face down. Then Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put incense in it along with burning coals from the altar. Hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead, but the, and the plague stopped. But uh, 14,700 people died from the plague, in addition to those who had died because of Korah, Then Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance to the tent of meeting, for the plague had stopped. What a disaster. What a disaster. And it was not just a hurricane of disaster, it was like a composite disaster. So here's a bit of a summary of it. A man by the name of Korah became insolent, became rebellious, rose up against Aaron and Moses. He was a Levite. The tribe, they weren't exactly priests, they were like, priestly helpers. They had special roles in worship, um, quite integral, but they weren't, they weren't priests. The priests only came down through the line of Aaron and his sons. But Korah rose up against Aaron and Moses. Not just Korah, but three men from the tribe of Reuben, Dathan, Abiran, and On, and uh, 250 well-known high-profile community leaders came and they all opposed Moses as a group. Moses responds, and his response shows why he was their leader. He, 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 falls, he goes face down before the Lord, gets before the Lord, verse 4. He sought God and God's wisdom, and we're going to look at those, the details of that soon. But what happens now is a show of God's approval for Moses and disapproval of those opposing him and Aaron. Their Korah and Abiran and Dathan and the families, they get swallowed up by the ground. And the 250 who had the senses of fire, uh, as if they were priests, they get struck down by fire, probably lightning. But wait... It's not over. Verse 41, the trouble spreads. The general populace, they see God's punishment on the rebels as Moses' fault. Verse 41, they say, you have killed the Lord's people. 
the Lord appears and then begins, uh, then a plague breaks out across the whole assembly. And this, this is amazing. And Moses tells Aaron, he says, hurry, get between, get in the middle between the plague, the Lord's wrath, and the people. Run with a censer and, and make atonement on behalf of the people. And so Aaron does that and rushes to that and the plague stops. But the other side of the hurricane, there's close to 15,000 corpses to deal with. It's a hurricane. It's a hurricane of rebellion. Composite rebellion. There's different strands to it. It morphs. The main ringleader was Korah. He was a Levite. The Levites were given this task to help the priests, 1 Chronicles 23. His, responsible, his responsibility was to help Aaron and the sons of that, of that family line. His unhappiness is expressed basically that the thought that the ministry should be democratic. They should vote. They should it shouldn't just be Moses and Aaron. This is what he expressed, verse 3. The whole community is holy. In other words, it's everybody's church. The whole community is holy. Every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why do you set yourself above them? Kirunga ake. But Numbers 12 says this about Moses, that Moses was humble, hugely humble. It says there was no person on the face of the earth that was more humble than Moses. Moses is not perfect. We're going to see that next week. But the rebellions in the desert was not due to the autocratic, the arrogant nature of Moses, the oppressive nature of Moses. That was not the reason. Moses was a humble man. Something else was at work in the desert. And Korah and his buddies said they wanted more democracy. You know what? In reality, they wanted more power. That's what they wanted. And what God had established as his pilgrim people was not a democracy. It was a theocracy. That God was the leader. God was the boss. And God appointed sub-leaders, regents, to lead the people on his behalf. And now we're going to look at the, the ABC of how you survive a rebellion. The ABC of surviving a rebellion. And because there was huge potential for this disaster, this hurricane of rebellion, to wipe them all out. It could have happened. But they survived it. And how do you survive a hurricane of rebellion? A, get before the Lord. Get before the Lord. This is step number A. This is what Moses did. He lay down before the Lord, verse 4. And it wasn't the first time. Numbers 11, Numbers 14, Numbers 20. Moses and Aaron, they'd get on their faces before the Lord. When trouble hits you, this is what we do. This is what you do. We get before the Lord. Yangi Cho was a South Korean uh, pastor of a gigantic AOG church. It just exploded as a church. 
And I remember in one of his books he said this, every problem is a spiritual problem, and the answer is prayer. And when we come up, people, against problems, realize that every problem is a spiritual problem, and the answer is prayer. And Moses sees it straight away. This is not just an angry man. This is a spiritual problem, and he gets before the Lord. Lays before the Lord, and then the Lord gives him some insights. And then he gets up, and he shows him, uh, let's say, three things. He shows him, uh, gives him some insight, what the heart of the problem was. And also he shows him what the problem in Korah's heart was. And he shows him what the solution was. And the heart of the problem was this. There was a spiritual battle going on. There was a spiritual battle going on. It wasn't just an angry man wanting more power. There was a spiritual battle going on. Verse 11, they were opposing God by opposing God's ordained leaders. Verse 11, it is against the Lord that you and your followers have banded together. Satan hates the community of faith. Do you know that? Satan hates the community of faith. He hated it back there in the desert. He hates it now. Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not destroy it. We know what? Hell wants to destroy the church. Even today, hell wants to destroy the community of faith. Never forget there is a constant spiritual battle going on against the church. Hell is trying to destroy the church. So that was heart of the problem. What was the problem in Korah's heart? It was envy and ambition. Verse 7, Moses says, You Levites have gone too far. You Levites have gone too far. You've overstepped your place. You're, you're out of your lane. You know, Korah's job was this, was to, and, and the others of the Levites, was to minister to the Lord by helping the priesthood and Moses. They had very special roles, but he wanted more. He wanted higher profile and higher prestige. He coveted more. He lusted after more position and prestige. You know what? Service is not a stepping stone to greater things. Service is the destination. Service is the destination. Matthew 23, 11 and 12, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servants. That's the destination. Service is not, a, is not a stepping stone. Service is the destination. And whoever, Jesus continued, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I'm just, just so stoked for the way you served last week. You know, that was fantastic. Thank you. And um, Angie's sick. Uh, today, but you know, Ange made 200 sandwiches last week. Um, so if you get a chance to encourage her and see how she's doing, um, what, but way to go! Thank you for your service last week. Um, so, the problem, the heart of the problem, problem in Cora's heart, and the solution was was a showdown. 
It was a showdown, showdown time. Moses summons Dathan and Abiran, verses 12 to 15. They refuse to come. They prefer to rebel from a distance, just say some things. So instead, uh, there's results, a showdown of fire, like Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Moses says to the rebels, get your little fire buckets, boys. We're going to sort this out once and for all. Can we show that picture of the censer? Get your fire buckets. Let's see who are really the priests. You're, you want to be priests. Are you really priests or are you pretend priests? Let's see who has the anointing. In a similar way, Jesus said in Matthew 7, watch out for false prophets. They look the real deal. This is a sensor, so it's like a little metal container where fire and uh, incense is put in. And it's still used in the Orthodox Church today as a way of blessing. Jesus said, Matthew 7, watch out for false prophets. They look the real deal. They look it, but deep down inside their wolves, they produce carnage and chaos. And a tricky, a tricky thing is sometimes people look the real deal, sometimes they talk the real deal, sometimes they talk anointed talk, and not only do they look like sheep, they look the best kind of sheep of all. They look like Pentecostal sheep. They prophesy, they drive out demons, they do miracles. But Jesus said, check out their fruit. Check out their fruit. And to Jesus, this is amazing to me, that prophecy, miracles, exorcism, at that stage, to Jesus is not uh, real fruit. The fruit that Jesus was after. Because wolves produce carnage and chaos. That is their fruit. And that was the fruit of Korah and his buddies. And God revealed this all to Moses. Because Moses got before the Lord. As, as soon as this, this, this hurricane of rebellion hit, this is what Moses did. Got before the Lord, God revealed some insight into Moses, and Moses knew what was at play here, and he knew what to do. Step A, hurricane of rebellion, get before the Lord. B, surviving a hurricane, get away from the rebels. Verse 26 and 27 says this, move back from the tents of these wicked men. Stand aside from the rebels. Don't even touch their stuff. Get away. There are 250 came out in front of their tents with their wives and their children and even their little babies. And then the earth opened up Possibly an earthquake and swallowed them, and then um, fire came out and burnt them. Get away from the rebels. Step B. You know, in reality, as a community of faith, the Lord's people, we often don't do this very well. Stepping aside from the rebels. In fact, sometimes we do the opposite. We get alongside the rebels. We want to give them a, a hug of a cuddle. (laughs) Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Four things here in Numbers 16 um, shows us about the rebel ringleaders. Number one, they were well known 
and gifted, connected, respected leaders. They were on the council. Verse 2. They had huge profile and potential. Korah's clan was in charge of the tabernacle equipment. Reuben was uh, Jacob's firstborn. You know, the firstborn, very important in in society at that time. And Abiran and Dathan and on, they, they were of that lineage of the firstborn. They were 200 and, there was 250 well-known community leaders, verse 2. This opposition were not rabble. They were high-profile, high-potential people. And, but that just made them even the more dangerous. Those things, potential profile, are not as important to the Lord as loyalty. What the Lord needed at this point was loyalty. Loyalty to the Lord, to his leaders, and to the Lord's plans. God loves his community of faith that he deals strongly to protect it. And Jesus said uh, to his disciples in in this regard about the respected Pharisees, of Jesus' time. Matthew 15, verse 14. Jesus said, Leave them. Step aside. They are blind guides. If you want someone to lead you, make sure they're going to do a good, a good job. Don't say uh, they kind of see it differently like from other people. Jesus said, No, they're blind guides. Step aside from them. The reason they see it differently is because they're blind. Leave blind guides or you'll end up in a ditch. That's what Jesus said, if you're interested in what Jesus said. So the rebel ring leaders were well-known, gifted, connected, respected leaders, 250 of them. Whoa, that's serious. Not only that, this is point number two, why we tend to uh, hug uh, people instead of stepping aside from them when they're in rebellion, is there was some truth in what they said. Uh, sort of, they had uh, several half-truths. Exodus 19 verse 5 says, You are a kingdom of priests, holy nation. Well, that's true. The whole, the whole community was a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. So there's some truth in that. Also, uh, the truth, they would die in the desert. That's true. And they haven't reached the promised land. That's true. But to all those half-truths, there was a backstory. And half-truths are never to be used as tools to oppose the God-ordained leadership of Moses and Aaron. Half-truths are nasty. You know, full-on lies are more easily spotted, eh? But half-truths create confusion, hesitation. You know, a half-truth does not get a pass mark from God. Thirdly, rebels sometimes look alone and lonely. And the wives came out and the kids and the babies in front of their tents, all by themselves, verse 27, and everyone else moved off. Oh, man, they look so lonely. And the includer personalities of us just want to get near them because they look so alone and lonely. But they're alone because they've deliberately moved away from God's plan. 
And fourthly, God's punishment sometimes seems real extreme. You know, God wiped them out. Gone. That was it. Like Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. Boom. Kahinga, dead. Next one, boom. Dead. Get the young men, go and bury them. You know, sometimes God does extreme things. And it doesn't seem fair on the, on the spouses and the kids and the babies. And that is sad. Rebellion, you know, rebellion has ripples on our loved ones. It does. It does. That's what happens. How to survive a hurricane of rebellion. A, get before the Lord. B, get away from the rebel ringleaders. And C, and this kind of sounds almost opposite, but there is a distinction. C, get in the gap for those caught up in the rebellion. So it's like the rebel ringleaders, and there's kind of like uh, rebel ringers. You know, as the rebellion morphs, it's, a whole lot of people get caught up in it. Uh, but there's wonderful grace seen here for the reb- rebel ringers, for those that get caught up in it. In the, verse 41, it's almost like there's a community brain freeze goes on. Uh, the whole community grumbles against Moses and Aaron, and they blame Moses and Aaron for the death of the rebels. They say, you have killed the people, they say to Moses and Aaron. Uh, nah, that's not true. It's the Lord's wrath that killed them. And then something devastating starts, a plague. And here is the amazing thing. To me, to me, actually, this is the most amazing thing as I, as I look at this chapter. You know, there's that incredible opening up of the ground. That's amazing. And then there's this fire that wipes out the rest of them. That's amazing. But the thing that amazes me is Moses and Aaron. At this point, they do not say to all the rebels, they don't say, you told you so, you pack of mongrels. Um, Moses says, quickly, get the censer, get the coals, get the incense, run between the Lord's wrath and the people. Let's try and save them. You know, the grace of Moses and Aaron at that point, that is amazing. Because I don't, I think, would I have done that? Oh, yeah, I saved you, right, yeah, right. But, <laughs> but Moses sends Aaron to try and stand, to rush, stand in the middle to stop the Lord's punishment. Save them. Get in the gap. Get in the gap. Pure grace from Moses and Aaron. And amazing, you know, the same tool that was used for the rebellion, those senses that the wannabe priests used to try and to get more power. Um, Aaron grabs a censer and he runs between the punishment of God and the people and, and saves them. And this is what Jesus did. This is a prototype of Jesus. Aaron is a prototype of Jesus in making atonement. That's what atonement means, at one mint. That uh, the object of our rebellion, 
Jesus actually becomes uh, the means of our salvation. Isn't that incredible? That Jesus does not say, you serve your right, you're a rotten bunch of rebels. He himself becomes a tool of our salvation. Dying on the cross, standing in the gap for us. Romans 3, 25. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. How do you survive a rebellion of a hurricane of rebellion? That's part of the answer there. The cross, and as we celebrate, as we take upon ourselves um, what that means for us, the bread and the juice of that remembers, that celebrates Jesus' sacrifice for our rebellion. That's part of the answer. That is the answer. And part of the answer, you know, if those of us that uh, are suffering from rebellion, it might be our own rebellion, might be at work situations where people are rebelling against us or, or, or children or whatever it is. You know, that is part of the answer of getting before the Lord and saying, Lord, help me in this rebellion. Um, for some of us too, there's, there's, gonna, there's um, instances where we need to step aside from uh, rebellion and say, hey, actually, I'm not going to go there. Uh, I'm not going to go there. That's stepping into rebellion. Uh, we're going to change the, the subject here. Um, and, and some, you know, there's, there's just that stepping in the gap for our children, for our, our neighbours, for our friends that are in the midst of rebellion and bringing God's atonement, God's grace into that situation. All right? So I want, I want us to stand up, and I'm just going to pray for those three things, and then I'll get um, maybe these four. One, two, three, four, to help pass that around. Let's stand up. So, um, Lord, we pray for these people. I thank you for each of them, each and every one of them. I want to bless them in your name. And despite our rebellion, how your grace is incredible, that uh, we, even though we don't deserve it, that you've made a way for us not to suffer, not to suffer God's wrath, um, not to suffer that, but you have stood in the gap for us. And I want to pray for those um, that are suffering from rebellion here and, and um, if it's uh, from different situations, from work or home or, or uh, in their community, I want to stand against that rebellion now in Jesus' mighty name. And those here that are um, needing to make decisions about rebels and having to, to say hard, you know, hard things and make a break in some ways or, or speak words that will not, um, not give fire to rebellion. Uh, I pray for that, for courage for that. And I pray for those that need, actually need to almost do the opposite, to, to stand in the gap of rebellion and to um, bring in God's grace and God's atonement. Yeah, I pray your blessing upon the people for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.